Hello and welcome back to Artistically As Newercast, uh, Newercast podcast, uh, Newerimbercast podcast even, you know, it comes each week on a Sundays, which I typically release the podcast episodes, and so on this week's episode will be with uh, Kyra Lawrence, Kyra Lawrence, I recorded this episode early on this summer and this this is now the only time that I released it so you know, I had a good chat with her, she's a representative of the charity Mankind, on oh no, Mankind, Mencap sorry even, uh, so with Mencap uh, she works with it as a, which is a charity that helps people with learning disabilities see yourself as a learning disability and this is the first time I had a chance to talk on my podcast about learning disabilities as to specific learning difficulties which I try to explore and navigate with her what is the difference between a learning disability to a learning difficulty what traits are different what things you should know about learning difficulty to learning disability so she says her own experiences with it and you know was, and what she does with her char- charity Mencap the work you know the media work she's been able to do as well as hosting her own podcast called the Pink Sparkle Pod which can get on all you know uh, podcasting platforms the same podcasting platform as you may be listening to this one right now if you're choosing to listen to it uh, rather than watching it. So as I, as I said, you know, with Kyra Lawrence this week and next week I think I'll maybe able to, I'll be giving you an interview with a journalist uh, Nicholas Fern who is a tech journalist who's also always like myself is autistic but as I said this week is quite important when I find is because it's the first of one with a learning disability as to a learning difficulty something I will be wanting to explore further on and I'm glad I had a chance to explore it this week with Kyra so hope you enjoy do you want to start do you want to start by yourself Yes, hi, my name is Kira Lawrence and I'm a person with a learning disability from Surrey. I'm 43 and I work as engagement lead at the UK leading learning disability charity Mencap. Do you want about those other roles you do? Yes, so outside of Mencap, I'm a patron of two charities, one called Include.org, one called Dance Syndrome. I'm an ambassador for Joe's Cervical Cancer Trust, an ambassador for the Eve Appeal. I'm a trustee on the board of the Sunnybank Trust, and I'm also on the trustee board of Head to Head Sensory Theatre. Can you tell me about how you started working with these different charities and what 
like motivate you and to engage of such charities and have you became interested of yes. so for many years I was working at Mencap and over the past few years I wanted to branch out and have a new platform and be known as something else as well as being known for my work at Mencap I wanted a new challenge I wanted a new role and so I started thinking about actually I want to learn what a trustee is. And the best way of doing that is become a trustee. So I did that. Then I could have a patron role, a trustee role, an ambassador role. And so over the last few years, I have been lucky to be offered all these different roles. So with the disability charities, obviously they knew of me through Mencap and through, but also I made things happen for the gynae cancer charities that I have roles with, because obviously, sadly, I've lost relatives to cancer. And so in their memory, I wanted to go and do something to remember them, but also raise awareness too. I've been very lucky in being offered ambassador roles, patron roles, trustee roles. I earn my roles and it helps to use my name, to use my platform and to do good and help other people. That must be quite a challenging thing to go for, but it must be rewarding and you must feel quite proud of yourself to manage to find a way into working with a a charity that helps other people with uh, cervical cancer and to do something in your family members' honour. It seems like you try to do a lot of things from like a sense of empathy and a sense of duty. Yes, through my roles, I've been able to help raise awareness and help other people learn about what it's like to have gynec cancer. So you do something because you want to help, but then you get something in return. When I put out a video about me wanting to raise awareness of cervical cancer through cervical screening, and I made a video on my socials, and it's had over now like 15,000 views on my Twitter, and I got invited to be an ambassador off the back of a video I made, and that's an amazing achievement. And so I'm, I'm just very grateful, I'm very thankful, and I get to meet loads of amazing people as well. For this interview, they focus on disability and neurodivergent issues in general and learning disabilities are definitely a neurodivergent aspect and something that I thought I wouldn't be able to touch upon haven't been able to focus on me having a learning disability and like the traits, uh, signs and symptoms and how it affects yourself. When I was born there was no sign that I had a learning disability when my mum was expecting me nothing was told to her that I might have a disability it was only after I was born in the first few months that little problems started occurring and it wasn't until the age of 10 years old that I finally got diagnosed properly 
with my learning disability, an educational psychologist, she was able to pinpoint at my school with my school teachers that I had a learning disability. And so then I got statemented for special needs education, which meant that I could get the right support. I went to a special school. I went on to college And that's where I met my now husband, Mark. I've been married 10 years. But coming back to the question, how my learning disability affects me? Well, it can manifest in lots of different ways. So information that's hard to understand can be a very difficult barrier for me. So I have to have information given to me in a very easy way. Things like learning new things can be really hard and that and I need support. Socialising can be hard because sometimes you may not fit into a social group. You may find friendships hard to understand. And that's something for me that I've always found hard. I Even though I've got lots of friends, it's understanding sometimes social cues and it's sometimes understanding actually oh, that was a joke and I didn't quite get it or someone's used a term with me that I don't get and I have to ask them to help me understand. Um, I'm proud of having a learning disability because it's led me on an amazing 22-year career at Charity Mencap. I've met parents who have children now who have a learning disability and I've been able to help and support them. I've been able to have a career. I have my own home now. I'm married. I'm independent. And I've been able to do all the things I wanted to achieve when I was younger. I've now achieved everything that I've wanted to achieve in my life. And I want to just now be a role model for younger people like me who have a learning disability. And one day when I retire... I can hand over the baton and say, right, now you guys rule the world. If you've got abnormal developments from birth, that could be noticeable as signs of been having a learning disability. So how do you find it only getting diagnosed then at that age of a learning disability, having spent the first 10 years of your life not in having a right correct support and having that answer it was really hard because it was put down to naughtiness me not wanting to learn it was put down to me being stupid when this lady was in my school watching me and watching my classes she was able to say Kira's not naughty Kira's not stupid Kira has either learning disability, but we need to get her statemented for help. Then I went to a special school. So I left mainstream school then at the age of 10 years old. I left mainstream school education and then went to special school. And actually at the time, that was what I needed to be able to flourish, be able to achieve And I know there's a very big debate still about mainstream education versus special education. And I have my own view on that. I do really think 
it's important for children with a disability to be in mainstream school, but as long as they have the right support around them to be able to achieve. But I know a lot of parents who have had to end up sending their children to special needs schools because the schools just don't know how to teach them. They don't know how to support them. They haven't got the time. They haven't got the resources. They haven't got the support in place. And so it's still a very big debate to this day about should children be in SEN school? Should they be in mainstream? And I think it's down to the family of that child because they know them best. They're the experts of their life as their child. It's their decision. I guess from what you're experienced in a mainstream environment, then it wasn't designed for people who have a learning disability or any neurodivergent person and could give experience of somebody hating school and not wanting to go to school at all because you had those labels of being naughty, stupid and all those negative labels and connotations before you were diagnosed and given that label. What were the uh, signs and traits educational psychologists noticed and what were the key areas of the negative experiences you find as to when you were in school then and your experiences of looking at schools today in terms of how medical, how uh, mainstream schools can support people with learning disabilities? So back then, it was things like instructions. I found taking instruction very difficult. I got it completely in the wrong order. That was one of the signs that actually I didn't understand instructions. I couldn't follow instructions. I found it very hard to communicate that I was finding things hard. But I think now schools are getting right training. I think teachers get good training now. Things are getting better slowly. I think there's more that schools could do to make things better. But I think it's about having good people with good attitudes that understand. And I think if they understood and had the right training, teachers could teach children like me, but sometimes they don't have the right training. They don't have the right resources. But schools now, I'm hoping they are getting better. And I think a lot has changed since I was at school. But I still hear stories of mums actually saying, my child is struggling. I need to go get help and support. And every person is different. And it's about just seeing those telltale signs of, actually, there might be an issue here. Let's try and get support. There's more support out there now. There's signposting. I help signpost parents if I can. And there's easy read guidance out there now. There's helplines out there now. So there's more that parents can do to go and find help now, which is great. I say that things have definitely improved as you've been a part of with your charity seeing it in more awareness and training for teachers getting more education and people having more general education on how to see disability rather than, as I said, if you're struggling with instructions, not to see that as 
yeah, thing off to spin naughty yards yeah. doesn't want to learn. When you said about in terms of resources, there's definitely important that like schools can get that funding to actually have that run and run support. Yeah. As I guess one of the key things probably for you going to a specialist education was to be able to have uh, some run and run support. It's about getting support from day one of their lives right to the end of their lives. It's it's about getting in there really early and going, right, we're going to give this family really good support. We're going to give this family the right funding. We're going to give this family all the help they deserve. Something that I'm really proud of. I meet children now and they say I'm a role model to them. And that is such an honour when I get told that. And I I love being that role model to them because they want to be just like me. And that's incredible. So, yeah, I I love being a role model to other children with learning disabilities. We yeah. need to be here to support them going forward. Yeah, I'll say that. With like a learning disability, you don't always see representation. And so, if you like have like somebody like yourself talking about learning disabilities, it normalizes a bit more. And I guess it, you know, like gives like some hope and like be able to like see other people out there doing different things. And it is good to have like start off some right representation. And as you probably would agree with that, in terms of representation of people with learning disabilities, it does have some some way to go. And it is definitely important of ensuring that everyone can have access to a diagnosis of like a learning disability or any neurological condition that people may not obviously see. And making sure that those diagnoses is access more accessible. Definitely. And I think this is a really good point to start thinking about media representation. Because I really believe that the more positive media representation we have of people like me who have a learning disability, the better, because it shows that we can achieve it shows it breaks down barriers, taboos. And actually, we need to see more people on TV with a learning disability. We need to see more newspaper coverage of people with a learning disability like me. And we are starting that journey. We are starting to see more people in the media like Harvey Price, Sarah yeah. Gordy, the guy from CBBS, George from CBBS. We're starting to see some really lovely people coming through now. Tommy Jessup, he's now got his book out. George Webster was on the Christmas special of Strictly last year. So that, again, is another huge achievement for the learning disability world. So we are starting to do that walk and talk journey, but there's more to be done before the media is perfect. So I'm very passionate about getting on TV and getting on radio and getting on film. So I've been on a few TV shows. I've been on newspapers. I've been in magazines. The more we see people like us in the media, the more children are going to pick up on it and go, wow, if they can do that, I can too. 
So it's about being a really good role model through the media. From what, I guess, what to hope from this interview, as I said, they haven't had someone on this podcast before who has a learning disability, as to like a specific learning disability, and was hoping that you could be able to educate myself, give some new information to as I went to the focus on like, what are the differences between a learning disability to a specific learning difficulty? I mean, to like a learning difficulty, okay. like dyslexia, dyspraxia, dysgraphia. So what are the differences between a learning disability to a learning difficulty? So at Mencap, we class things like dyslexia as a learning difficulty. A learning disability is for life. It's lifelong. There's no cure. Whereas with dyslexia, it might be just difficulties with reading and writing and that that can get help. But with learning disabilities, it's you'll have it for the whole of your life. You will see those barriers for the whole of your life. So that's where it's different. So dyslexia is a learning difficulty, whereas a learning disability is very different. They are two separate things. Mental health is also different to learning disability. So Mancap is not a mental health charity. It's a learning disability charity. So again, there are two differences. So yeah, dyslexia, we class as learning difficulty, but learning disability is lifelong, no cure, and it affects the way you learn, understand, and communicate. But we say everybody is different. Everybody has their own likes, their own wants, their own needs. And it's about tailoring support for that individual. I mean, like, if you have, like, dyslexia or dyspraxia, still it can be something that it wouldn't go away and it's something that you would have for your life. And sometimes, you know, like a condition like, say, dyspraxia, that can affect sometimes how you communicate, how you, like, process and thoughts and like doing certain tasks like that require you find my motor skills affect how you might learn to cycle or you know tie shoelaces and handwrite and process and stuff like that so and that is something that will be able to affect you from childhood to adulthood and isn't something you grow out of so I'm wondering when a person is looking at whether the child has a learning disability to a learning difficulty. What are the main things that people can see to distinguish oh that like the separate things if you I think with learning disability, because it manifests in lots of different ways and it's for yeah. the, your whole life. Whereas dyslexia, again, is a learning difficulty. So it might just be you might just need some help with your writing. Dyslexia might be you might just need some help with reading. But that can be cured with help and support. Whereas learning disability, because it affects the way you learn. So when a baby is born, if there's a lack of oxygen at birth, yeah. That baby's brain is not going to fully develop. So that might lead to someone having a learning disability. So it's the way the brain develops. So mm. 
uh, learning disability starts at birth, before birth, at birth, during birth and after birth. So it's right from just before birth all the way through your life. Yeah. So that's what tells it apart and as a difference. Yeah. She said, at least not with like learning difficulty, it can be also genetic. And so I said that even though you say that can be helped with like certain strategies that can make things better, but still, like I said, with dyspraxia, that's still something that, you know, like it would affect your practical skills and abilities in that area and isn't something that is cured or that can be cured. Yeah. So again, as I said just now, learning disability is a lifelong condition that affects you just before birth, during birth, after birth, and it's lifelong. So people with learning disabilities, there's a whole umbrella of learning disability. So someone might have a mild learning disability like me. They might just need a little bit of support now and again. There might be people who have more um, moderate learning disabilities and might need even more support. There are people who have what's called PMLD, which is profound and multiple learning disability. That might mean a person can't speak. They might be nonverbal. They might need support going to the toilet, getting dressed, getting washed every day to go out to make decisions, to go to appointments. They might need carers supporting them 24-7. Yeah. So everybody's different. So it can range from someone like me who might just need a little bit of support now and again to understand things to someone who might have an even more moderate learning disability to someone who has a profound and multiple learning disability. But again, as we say, everybody's different and everybody has their own individual needs. Yeah, probably like for somebody who doesn't have, like been diagnosed with a learning disability, it's something that is quite complex and to understand from your perspective, because I guess sometimes you probably like find it hard to communicate and have other people to understand what's your experience like and so like be able to for them to understand what things are like for you in your world as a person with a learning disability yeah like sometimes I don't always understand humor so if someone makes a joke and that I'm the person they're with I might not understand that joke it might need explaining to me then I get it or I might be in a room full of people and I might not understand what's going on in the room. So I need somebody to be there to help me break it down. I might need letters and things that come in the mail. I might help. I might need support to understand things like come, that come in the mail, like bank statements or letters that are hard to understand. My man, I might need my husband to read them to me and then explain yeah. them. And that can be really hard because it makes you feel stupid that you have to ask. It's about how you find everyday things really hard because every day I will come across a barrier and I then have to work out, right, how do I get across this? How It's like a bridge. You're walking over a bridge 
and there's something in the way. It's like when you're doing a run and there's a hurdle and you have to work out how you're going to get over that hurdle and carry on. And it's about putting reasonable adjustments into place. So small things that can make a big difference. And I've done that. And it means I've been able to have a career. I've been able to have a home. I've been able to get married. I've been able to, you know, do a lot of things that I can achieve. But I have to ask for support to be able to achieve those things. And yeah. it hasn't been easy, but I've got there. Um, yeah. And, you know, it's just about actually the world. The world has yeah. to change for us to fit in. Yeah. We shouldn't have to change for the world to fit in. So I don't know if you've heard of the medical model of learning disability and the social model. Yes. So the medical model of disability says we are the problem. We need to be fixed. Whereas the social model says, if the world changed their attitude, we would fit in. So actually, I prefer the social model that says we have to, we want to fit in. The world needs to change, and the world does change. The world has started to change, but very slowly. And there's more that needs to be done before everybody with a learning disability can fit into the world. Yeah, I think that's this fact, I'll say, because like. Even though, like, something like that and being autistic, yeah, like, it can have some processing difficulties with processing information. But I think from what you're saying is that it can be, like, you know, like, needing extra, like, support and intervention. Yeah. How I process it, I assume. But I guess from what you were saying then with, like, the social model of disability, this is something that... I tend to like to explore in a podcast mm-hmm. and provide a positive space for us to be able to discuss how, how like we want to see the world change for us and how yeah. we want to make a better place and what do like disabled people want to be seen in society and culture. So I want it to be about like recognising how people should see us. Yes, definitely. I think sometimes people have bad attitudes people discriminate because they just don't understand they're ignorant they don't get it but actually if people saw us in the media if people saw us in the world and met us and talked to us and learned from us the world would change but people aren't quick to do that. And we have to do a lot of that ourselves. I talk to the media a lot in my career and I say, look, come and interview me. Come and learn about my life. When I go to a medical appointment, I have to take my husband because my GP talks gibberish. And the only way I can understand is if my husband's in the room with me. Now, if my GP didn't talk gibberish, I could be in a room and understand on my own, but I have to take people with me to my doctor's appointment so I can understand what's happening with my own health. And that is something that I should be able to do on my own in the privacy of myself. But I can't. I always have to take someone with me to support me. But now, because of the Oliver McGowan mandatory training, 
all healthcare professionals are now going to get training. Paula McEwen has done some excellent and superb work on that and, you know, like, commended for doing all that after the tragic loss of her child said it's something incredible to do. And as you're saying that, like, people like yourself who are going into a medical appointment should be able to have, like, the doctor explain something in an easy way for you to understand without having so much of the complex medical jargon that can go over your head and make a lot harder to process. And but the good thing is now, on my GP records as having a learning disability. So now when I go, they know that I might need extra time and I need easy read communication. Yeah. So actually it's changing now because they know me. Yeah, and I guess it's one of those part of aspects of like how I've been disabled that sometimes you need a bit more time to be able to speak it loud. And as I said, we're having a learning disability. It might, you know, take take a lot more time to communicate mm-hmm. your needs. Being autistic, sometimes I find it harder to communicate my needs because being in a doctor, doctor's experience for, say, that does take a lot of process, not like mostly of what I went to say. And with going on the media, doing interviews, it's like having a space for people to actually listen to what you have to say. Yeah. And I guess it's having a space to say what you need to say. And sometimes I guess you probably find that can be quite an issue when you got like only like a few minutes to speak on like a the topic before they go to the next conversation. Yeah. It can be hard. So that's where key messages really help. Yeah. Because Nencap support me when I go and do interviews and they'll give me one or two key messages every time and I just try and make sure I get those into the interview. It's really important because I can tell my story coming from a real place, not coming from someone who doesn't know me. So it's really important that the media listen up to us, they listen to us and talk with us. This is the whole reason why I started my own podcast. Yeah. And as you say then, in a way, it's definitely an important thing to have the space to talk, like as yourself, as the disabled person, rather than like another person who hasn't got a disability to speak on the topic, as sometimes then if you like a media person and getting that person on, can as said, go down a medical model of that more academic jargon that doesn't address what like living with a disability or like being disabled is your life and what things you want people to understand and what things need to improve and as you said the part part of the thing is like having people with lived experiences mm-hmm. having telling you story stories are as you said that's a significant thing about having more people in the media talking about yeah. these matters. Yeah. And as I said, you went to raise awareness about it by having a podcast where you, you talk a bit more on your experiences of having a learning disability yeah. and, you know, where you talk to other people. You, you know, people in the media you've had conversations with and politicians. So what has it been like to being able to sit down and do your own podcast? It's called Kira's Pink Sparkle Pod. Have people like 
Penny Morden, and she talked about the coronation. I talked to her about learning disability. I've had Rob Ryden. I've had all sorts of people. I've had people from the BBC, ITV, Channel 4. I've had right across the media industry. The main message of my podcast from the beginning was for people to meet me as a person who lives with a learning disability and learn my story. That was that was kind of the aim, and it still is. For you to be able to, like, give people a lesson and talk to them about, about yourself, quite a big thing for you. As you said, you know, like, you managed to talk about to politicians and yeah. also to journalists in yeah. the media. So when you've been talking to journalists and politicians, have you put across how, like your thoughts of how they report on disability and what you think of how they speak on disability in the media? Yes, I have done that with Penny Mordant. So when yeah. Penny Mordant came on my podcast recently, it was after the coronation. Yeah. So we talk a little bit about learning disability and how she sees learning disability. But also we talked about the coronation service that she was part yeah. of. She held that sword. So she talked about that and how she managed to hold the sword all the way through. I've had people from TV, radio, people from all walks of life on my podcast. And the thing that I have had back is that people didn't really understand what a learning disability was till they met me. And that's incredible to be able to give them that education. Yeah, and as I said, we've like been able to talk to like a politician, as I said, Penny Mould, and when you've yeah. talked to her about your learning disability, did you uh, manage to get like a chance to talk to her about what like the government has been able to do around learning disabilities and in support of learning disabilities? Like I know Lexi's in the cabinet and I know like people think that the current government have you know not an enough on learning sports people with learning disabilities with that is supporting them in income in like into work and you know in in terms of benefits access and work and making so people's accommodations are in place so were you able to like question her and challenge her on some areas of what the yeah. government has done we got in regard to people with learning disabilities and disabled people. That was something that I was very passionate in talking to her about. I asked her a few questions around that, but obviously we were again talking about the coronation as well. I asked her if she would like to see more politicians with a learning disability in Westminster, and she said she would like to see more MPs with a learning disability in Parliament, but Parliament has to change first in order for people to be able to fit in and be accessible there. So they've got a lot of work to do going forward before they can even consider any MPs with a learning disability. Obviously, they already have other MPs with other disabilities, which is amazing. So people like Baroness Tanya Gray-Thompson, there's other Baronesses in the House of Lords who have other disabilities we really want more people with a learning disability in politics. That's really important in the future. But MPs in Westminster have to change how they work 
before we can even think yeah. about there being more MPs in the future with a learning disability. And to guess with having her been a uh, leader of the House of Commons, I guess it's something that in a leadership role that you would hope that she'd be able to look at in terms of like the House of Commons itself, how to make sure that is accessible for disabled people, but I think that can do a lot as well with the entire culture around Westminster. As I said, there is like a bit more diversity in disability in house lords, as I said, especially because it's got like a bit more diversity because it's been appointed, as I said, to get people like Tony Gray Thompson and then you might get some elderly, you know, lords who are you know, like by age, like a disability. But when you look in the House Commons, as you say, there isn't somebody with a learning mm. disability. You got people with learning difficulties, like dyslexia, dyspraxia. But as I said, you got you no know, people with learning disabilities or autism or any like obvious mobility disabilities or visual disabilities visible disabilities like using a wheelchair. So I think there is definitely something that there needs to be looked at and how to make things more accommodating and accessible of like getting people to when to stand as an MP and stand even as stand as local councillor. And I guess it's something that you would like to encourage and advocate for people to consider doing that. And also, 10 Downing Street isn't accessible physically for people who are wheelchair users. Yeah. Because recently a friend of mine, she went to a meeting at 10 Downing Street. She's a wheelchair user. There's a step, quite a heavy step, that goes up into number 10, and she can even get her wheelchair in there. So again... Places like number 10, people need to think about physical access needs to be provided if they're going to go to places like that. So they need to do better as well. They're not perfect. Buildings need to be more accessible, not just in a written form, but they need to think, actually, what reasonable adjustments do I need to put in place for that person to be able to actually come to something and think about it beforehand, not just last minute, because that's tokenism. As you say, and like, I was saying that, you definitely want to see more disabled people, you know, with varying disabilities to be interested in doing a job in politics and, as I said, in Bevitstone and Street Right Hall or Westminster or any other parliament uh, establishment. But I'll say, if people can't see that a place like Number 10 is accessible for wheelchair use or anybody with mobility issues, it does make people consider not doing a career in uh, politics. And I guess... You want to see things physically changing for people with disabilities in those environments. Yeah. So, again, you know, it's actually we want to take two steps forward, but then when we're blocked from doing something, it's like taking a huge step back. And the world, again, needs to change. They need to see the social model of disability, not the medical model. 
obviously some buildings in London are really old, but actually they can provide a ramp. They can provide an accessible venue. There's things that can be done, but people don't think about it. People leave it until the very last minute that the people are going to come to that building and they can't even get in it. And it's pure tokenism. It's just like, right, we've got them here. We're going to tick the box to say they've been, but actually they can't physically enter, but they are here. And actually they need to think, actually the first thing they need to do is book a ramp. They need to go and book Mm -hmm. a room that's accessible and accessible venue. That is really good co-production from the beginning, not just tokenism. And that's something that I'm very passionate about You know, when I go somewhere, I actually look it up on Google first to make sure I can access it. I even then might phone up the place and go, do you have an accessible menu? Do you have an accessible door that I can get into? Is, you know, are there stairs? Is there a lift? There's things that I have to think of. I'm not a wheelchair user, but I, again, want to make sure if I'm going somewhere and I'm meeting up with friends who might be a wheelchair user, I've then got to put the support into place from the beginning or make sure I make reasonable adjustments for them from the beginning. I don't leave it till the last minute. Um, And people don't think it's people just being ignorant. And again, in COVID times, the COVID rules were not accessible. The government even didn't even bother putting them into Easy Read. It was up to charities like Mencap to make them easy read. The government didn't even try. So, you know, we have such a big job to do to make sure that people we support can live their lives. And actually, that, again, is something that I'm very passionate about. I have to work really hard when I'm working at Mencap to make sure the people that I work with with a learning disability have equal chance to get involved. I have to make easy read guidance. I have to make easy read guides. I have to make put things into easy reads so that I can work with people really well. Now, if the world changed, I wouldn't have to do that. And I'm happy to do that. Yeah. But I shouldn't have to all the time. Yeah. Um, as you said, because it's like you would be the person who would need to be easy read and easy to digest guidance yourself. And as you say, you know, it's important, as you say, for government communications to be able to have it universally accessible because in a pandemic and any medical information that would be essential and urgent for anyone to read, it should be readable for all as you said that cuts out the jargon doesn't make it too complex makes it seem that any questions you could think about that they can uh, consider all the you know what ifs and concerns you would have yourself and I guess that was something that I guess you found was incredibly disappointing in the pandemic and especially when you know like you did in the pandemic especially hopefully there were coronavirus uh, inquest will, you know, inquiry that Parliament is to win, will explore the, you know, effects of that and, you know, where people have learning mm-hmm. disabilities because I remember reading there was incredibly high rates of deaths co- of COVID 
in a learning disabled community yeah. and I guess it's something that you found incredibly like emotional when you've like seen or like how people were affected in the community from that. Yeah also in Covid times people had what was called DNRs put on them so do yeah. not resuscitate so if someone got very very ill in hospital yeah. They were basically told, right, sign this form and it means we don't have to resuscitate you. And it's discrimination, that pure, simple. Now, that has been known about. People know that has happened to people with a learning disability. I even know someone who's got a mild learning disability and her parents were sent a DNR letter at home. And their daughter has only a very mild learning disability and they were asked to sign a DNR form. And it's shocking. It's really shocking. And we've got so much more to do before the world changes its attitude towards us. But we have started that journey. Yeah, you would think it's something incredibly upset and to probably have read yourself, you know, like, because it strips people from their right to life. And, you know, like the like the respect of, like, being respected that disabled people do have a right to life. So, yeah. and if you were stripped that way, it's incredibly scandalous, immoral, and something that is entirely unethical and would be yeah. criminal, really, if for that to be done. And as said, hopefully that there can be consequences from this and yeah. something that the COVID query can have you know, uh, report down and actually ensure that there is consequences and so that, you know, people with learning disabilities wouldn't have to face that again and that, you know, it wouldn't be something that they would have their, you know, right to life disrespected in such a way and being able to have that, you know, the whole period of that, you know, inclusive and not against them. And so, as I said, that with the word learning disability, you kind of like, so now it also, like, there's traits of, like, I will, like, it can, like, be similar to that of, or, and, like, in terms of processing and centriasms of, like, or, like, autism as well. So, what, like, myth busting question, what do people misunderstand about? Like the like the differences between autism and like a sensory processing conditions to having a learning disability. Okay, so some people with a learning disability might also have autism. Not everybody does because everybody's different, but some people might have autism. And it's about actually where on the spectrum are they? Because if it's mild and they have a learning disability, we might be able to support them. But normally we would signpost those people to like an autism charity. So we say some people might have different disabilities and different conditions, but as long as they have a learning disability, we can support them. Yeah, like I was saying that... As even though, like, I don't tend to, like, use the labels of my severe autism, but as you said, that with, like, uh, people who might have an additional, you know, like, like, learning disability, it's that, 
as I said, with like processing information and finding always uh, like learning stuff, like challenging that then. And I guess the differences between like high and low support needs. Mm-hmm. And so, and, but you think that, so what are the difference also between the label intellectual disability to learning disability? So, I don't like the term intellectual disability. I hate it. Yeah. It's not about your intellect. It's about how you understand and how what you can do and what you can't. It's interesting, actually, because at the end of last year, I was going to a local chemist to have my COVID booster jab. And they asked me to provide a proof of letter that I have a learning disability so that I could have my COVID booster. Yeah. And so, of course, I don't have anything in my home that says Kira has a learning disability. Why would I? I know I have a learning disability. So I went to my local GP surgery and I said, look, I need to take something with me to prove that I have a learning disability is there something you can give me? And they gave me this letter and it said, I have an intellectual disability, which I was very upset about because it used intellectual. But also they decided to stamp on this letter the result of my IQ test that I had when I was 10 years old. I'm now 43 that result is probably going to be actually very different from when I was 10 years old to now. It will probably be a very different score from then to now. And they put that on the letter. And the NHS actually don't use IQ anymore to do tests. They don't use that anymore. And so, you know, it was, on the one hand, it was helpful because I could take it to my appointment but also that letter really discriminated me because when they handed it to me at the GP surgery the letter wasn't even in an envelope it wasn't given to me in an envelope it was given to me like the letter was being given out like somebody was getting a packet of sweeties it was literally thrusted into my hand for anyone to see and they didn't treat me very well at that day when I went and got my letter from the GP they literally had left it out on the side for anyone to read and so when I went to collect it they went here you go And it was like I was being given a piece of paper like I was being given a packet of sweeties. And I felt really discriminated against. I felt I was being treated like a number, not a human being. Um, And again, it shows attitudes of, of staff need training and they need educating And so I complained about what happened and I got an apology because I complained. And now the GP staff, they know me. They know how to treat me now because they've had the right training. Yeah. But again, it comes down to attitudes. It comes down to knowing actually that person's a human being, but 
again, it comes down to treat me like anybody else, treat me like a human being. So, yeah. Yeah, I can understand how you would feel like so strongly against that label. And like, I just wanted to put it towards you because it's something that, as you would say that, it's something as you experienced that you had like from your NHS, not as like last year, somebody referring to you with the term intellectual disability. And I can understand the dislike of the whole IQ thing as because it's quite undermining like like part of who you are and you know like it's not showing you in the way you would want to I guess when you went to let you just went to say that of something that says Kyra Lawrence has a learning disability diagnosed in X year and you know like sent by the doctor and that's that but I said to give the such details and especially like without an envelope it's kind of bit invasive Send off your privacy and you know, like I understand the issues about having a bit more dignity and respect. Yeah. Yeah. And it broke GDPR rules because yeah. it was left out with all my details on. Yeah. And I apologize for that as well. So yeah, I got a big apology. But all I wanted was something that says, Kira Lawrence has a learning disability, end of. But oh no. They decided to put all my private details on it. They even stamped my IQ number from when I had tests when I was 10 years old. And actually, that would be very different now. And that was really cruel. That that wasn't what I asked for at all. And yet they did that. And I, you know, everybody's different. Everybody with a disability is different. And it's about listening. You listen to the person's needs. You listen to what the person is telling you. You act on what they tell you, not just go off and do something else entirely. As you said for this podcast, I want to be able to dispel some myths around uh, like how people wrongly see learning disabilities and but also what you think people don't assume about learning disabilities yeah. that they should know. So what are the, like, the myths out there or like the things that you have had, you know, like like yeah. said, like experience that people might say or like mention and it's totally untrue and what are the things that people should know about learning disabilities that are okay. and as obvious? Okay, so I have a top five. So people say to me, Kira, you don't look like you have a learning disability. Number four, Kira, you don't talk like you have a learning disability. Number three, you when you work with me, you don't look and understand like you have a learning disability. You don't communicate like you're a person with a learning disability. That's my top five. I I have it all the time. People say to me, you don't look like you have one. You don't talk like you have one. When I work with you, I can't see your learning disability. So what is it? And I have to really then go back to basics and I have to go, did you just say I don't look like I have a learning disability? Is that what you just said? Yeah. And it's, I know it's a backwards compliment. I know they mean well, and I know they're trying to be nice. 
but actually it's really discriminating. Yeah, because it still comes from our like experience of internalised ableism and that kind of aspect of, you know, like saying something that is, you know, like a part of just like, I guess, society's, you know, like ableism that they haven't, people haven't addressed yet. And yeah. say it is something that would be quite annoying, as you say, it's, I think without having, as like it can be quite a broad thing of like experiencing experiences of that as mm-hmm. like it can affect somebody who, like was an in- invisible disability or, or as I said like any like neurodivergent condition people thinking of you talk certain way or as I say that if like they don't see it you know they'll just think something totally else of it and I'll say it's yeah. that thing of having ne- negative stereotypes and I say that thing about challenging that yeah and it when people say to me Kira you don't look like you have a learning disability so then my reply is well what do you want me to look like a three-headed monster like what do you expect me to look like what do you want me to look like that's my reply and they go very quiet like you can hear a pin drop normally then will say to me oh sorry Kira that's not what I meant and I was like well you've said it It's about me educating, it's about me training people, it's about me dispelling those myths and what is and what isn't. You can't see it. Yeah. It's about spending time with that person and then you might see the barriers they face. Yeah, it's like, anyway, nobody looks like they have a learning disability or any, like, invisible disability because that's the point of it's been invisible having an invisible disability, yeah. you can't see it. And I'll yeah. say that there's no one way of talking about it. I'll say that with, like, an l- invisible disability affects, like, everyone in a different way. So there's no one way of experiencing that disability. And so, yeah, as say that's something that I, tr- I, like, understand. And I guess when you people think there's, like, a certain image... You can have been almost went to hand him a peep and pencil and like sketch out what you think somebody is like with a learning disability. And as I said, that's something like it, like charity work and with like dance syndrome and men cap. And so over the years, what are like some of the key things that you've been able to do with, with such organizations with as that's with your training? And I know you already covered upon doing media appearances. Yeah. But what what are the other aspects of your job with MenCap and okay. your job with like organization like dance syndrome? Okay. So through my career, because I've been able to make connections with other organizations, I've been able to get other roles outside of MenCap. So that's really helped through my career. My career's kind of helped me to get other roles that I wanted. I learned through meeting people. I learned through going to courses myself. I learned by going to events myself and speaking up at events. I go to dinners and I help raise money. I help go to dinners and collect checks for MenCap and I do thank you speeches. I go to schools and I talk to children. I go to everywhere and anywhere that will have me. Um, so that's a lot, a bit, 
that's a big part of my role is going out and talking to people and raising awareness. Um, so I might get asked to go to an event and speak, or I might get asked to go to an event and present. I might get asked to go and talk to people. I might get asked to go and do something and raise money. So I'm very lucky. I get to do loads of wonderful things because of my job and my career. And I get to go on the media. I get to do amazing things. I've even done a 5K run and raised money for Mancap. That's something I never thought I would be able to do. And I've done that now. I'm on our leadership team. So I'm now a leader at Mancap. I'm in a leader role. And so actually, I have been able to progress my career up to a leadership level because of the right support that I've had to speak out. And so I'm very proud of everything that I've been able to achieve and do because it's led me to now being a leader and being able to set that good example for our leadership going forward. I can imagine you would be super proud of all of that because especially like, you know, when you like been going into like doing stuff like going into schools and talking about, you know, having a learning disability, whether that'll be talking to the teachers, talking to students. It's something I can imagine that, you know, like your younger self would love to have somebody with a learning disability that like is, like has a job like yourself and that is doing like so many different amazing things to raise awareness of a learning disability and like making like they appears and people's more aware of what it is like to have a learning disability. I think it's something that you're glad you've been in part of that change and made it happen. So like somebody like yourself at Thebes, you were finding out you had a learning disability that can, I guess, feel less alone and feel a bit more understood. Yes, Mencap is they help shape you, they help develop you, they take you as a person and they help you to see your potential, they help you set your goals and dreams and because of the goals and dreams that I set for myself years ago, I now have all those things, I've achieved those things. Yes, I've had to put the hard work in. I've had to put an awful lot of hard slog into what I do to get what I want. But now I get what I want. It and then they've they've seen that and I get what I want now. And I've been I've been able to do a lot and help other people like me. And I've been able to be a role model for young children like me, young people like me. And, you know, I've been very lucky. I've been given loads of lovely opportunities from meeting our celebrity supporters and spending time with them and getting to go to nice parties, um, to getting to going to the Houses of Parliament, to going to TV studios and meeting people that I like. You know, I've been very lucky and I, but I have to work hard for what I get and I have to you know, put the effort in before I get something. And actually, once I get that something, I know that I've earned it. I haven't just been given it. And that's very important to me. Progression is very important to me. I really hope, now, I hope it happens on my on my watch. It might not happen on my watch, 
but I want to see the day where Mencap gets a chief executive with a learning disability or a pay CEO. I want to see that happen before I retire. I And that is when I hang up my boots is that day when we finally get someone at that level with a learning disability with the right support. Yeah, of course, yeah, you, because in a, like a service that helps learning people with learning disabilities raise more awareness around it. Of course, you would want somebody at the top who has a learning disability, like you would with any charity and organisation, helping any like specific disability. And so as you're saying that, you were to support, you managed to get into a field of work that you went to, and, you know, being able to get the right support you need to. So, for anybody listening to the and into this with like uh, like somebody in their life who is an adult of having a learning disability or has themselves a learning disability, what tips would you give them for getting into you know work or you know like what or like getting in the jobs that they wish they want to get and what are the advice would you give to people who you know looking for right support for having a learning disability and getting the support they need. What can be a barrier is when young people leave school, they're not always supported to find the next bit of their journey transitioning. So actually, when someone leaves school, the first thing they should get is support to decide what their next step of life is. So whether that's going to college getting a job or going into further education, they needed to be supported at that point of their life because the next step of their life is them going into adulthood. And I know that when I left my special school, I had no support. My family had to support me just to help me decide my next step of life. And that was really hard. It's about not saying no, don't take no for an answer, because I never said no. I said everything was possible and I've achieved that. Don't take any rubbish advice. Keep knocking on the door and just keep asking for support. And the more you do that, the more you will be heard. So don't take no for an answer. Get the right support and don't take rubbish. Keep fighting until you get heard, and then you will be heard. What are the key uh, support services that have helped you yourself? And any specific ones would you recommend for people to reach out to if they need support? Disability job officers at job centres, go and find out about them because that's how I found out about Mancap in the first place. So disability job officers at job centres, go and talk to careers people and tell them what you want and need and what support you need to get there. Family, talk to your family, talk to your friends, talk to people, create a support network around you, create that really special group of people who are going to help you achieve and get to where you want to be. Family, friends, support workers, colleagues, Anybody you can think of. Yeah. And, you know, like, I, I tend to like to ask this on a podcast as in the last few questions. 
what would you like to see? If there is one thing that in society or, you know, the country that you would like to see improved for disabled people or, like, a, like what one thing would you like to see improved? Attitudes. I want people's attitudes to change towards us. I want to live in a world where I am treated equally. I want to live in the world where I'm heard. I want to live in a world where I'm seen. I want to live in a world where we don't have to fight for everything. I want a world where I can fit in. I want a world where I can go and achieve things without having to always ask for help. Yeah. On on that, I would want to ask you, you was spoken recently on social media mm-hmm. about the attitudes around, in terms of the documentary that I set there on Channel 4. And I just want to you, what's the power significance of using ableist language in the media? What's, like, the, uh, you know, like, how much can I impact, you know, a disabled person? And, you know, what people should know about ableism and how yeah. and how we shouldn't tolerate ableism okay so here's my view on the whole rosie jones documentary i'm going to be very open about yeah. this because i've been very open on my socials about it so i'm going to be very honest a i hate the r word i think it's discriminating It's a horrible word. It should never have been used in the title. They made a big mistake putting that in the title. I think the documentary... Now, I haven't seen it yet, but I am getting a sneak preview of it very soon. I've actually got... I'm getting access to it very, very soon through someone else that I know of. I'm actually going to see it before other people... So I'll be able to cast my own opinion on it before it goes out, which I'm very grateful for. I don't like the R word, so I hate that bit of it. I just hope and pray that the documentary is Rosie saying that we should never, ever hear these terms again. That's what I hope I'm going to hear. But until I see it... I'm going to reserve the rest of my opinion. My opinion right now lands solely on the title. Yeah. And like it's the like important to recognize that if a title like explicitly references the slur without uh, censoring it or such, yeah. like like recognize that people have been received received these words and yeah. Per- Potentially, that Wolsey Jones may have been called that slow on social of media, course. but yeah, there's no way. But as you say, there's no excuse for using it in a title of a documentary, ever, yeah, because as I say, that more people would likely to use that uh, slow on social media. Yeah, you know, uptick and just seeing that documentary on TV. So yeah, yeah. as I say, it is problematic. And yeah, yeah, and like one fault with that is that people have pulled out their appearances and the recordings that they didn't contribute yeah. for the demo- documentary, and that has been 
something damaging because of the title and so hopefully that you know the end result is something that recognizes the actually the hurt and the abuse disabled people yes. get online and hopefully does something to change people's you know uh, yeah. view of disability. Yeah, I've actually now met one of the people who were involved in it and she told me why she pulled out of it and it was over the title. And apparently Rosie Jones had agreed to it from the beginning. Yeah. Had it been called Am I a Something Else that wouldn't have been greenlit for Channel 4? They needed a racy title to greenlight that show. And so they had to go with something that was very disgusting to cause shock, to cause debates. That's what they want out of it. And they've got that now, but they shouldn't have used it in the first place. But unfortunately, had they gone with a title that was originally there, it wouldn't have had the shock factor to it. It wouldn't have been used. So in a way... They've got what they want out of it. And sadly, that's that's why someone I know who I've now met who was part of it is no longer part of it. And they did it because of the title. And that's really upsetting, I think. And I, when I talked to that person who was involved, she said it was over the title and they disagree with it. And because they disagreed with it, they pulled out of it. And I think that's very sad. Yeah. Especially as because, you know, it shouldn't be out to cause controversy and upset within the community and, you know, do something that would be, you know, like challenging emotional emotions of like the disabled person and yeah. just like play, as I said, playing for the sock factor and yeah. just like for the social media buzz around it because of the title, it's just say a table of bringing around the bit, like bringing around people t- to what's our view of the documentary. Yeah. So my view is the title is wrong, but then had they not gone with that title, it wouldn't have been shown. So it, it's it's kind of chicken and egg, isn't it? It's if they didn't use that, it won't get shown. So they had to use that in order to green light it for it to go on telly. So it's a very hard debate. It's a very upsetting debate. Yeah. And apparently Rosie agreed with that title from the beginning and she agreed with it when it was getting greenlit to go on TV. And that really shows, doesn't it, that says something. Yes. Is there anything else you wanted to say that you haven't got to say so far? Please go and check out my podcast. It's on Apple Podcasts. Spotify, wherever you get your podcast from, uh, here is Pink Sparkle Pod. Do I'm on Twitter, I'm on Instagram, I'm on Facebook, I'm now on TikTok. So come and find me. And once again, a special thanks to uh, the charity representative, Kayla Lawrence, for the charity Men Cup. And so, if you want to find more about uh, Kayla Lawrence and the Red Run podcast. I'll be giving details in the episode description, whether that be on YouTube, Facebook, or 
wherever you listen to this podcast, as well as wherever you listen, watching, whether like you also want uh, to read it, it'll be all on www.newrainbowproject.com, where you'll be able to have the readable version of it, and I'll be looking into how to provide easy read and easy digest information. So I'm uh, making sure, as I say, I'm trying to ramp up the accessibility of my content that I p- uh, put out to you. So I'll hopefully try to consider what it, it would mean to make easy read information so this podcast can be ma- accessible to all, regardless of, you know, varying disabilities. So uh, hopefully that can be something I can improve upon. And if you got anything else you want, you think I could improve upon, please do email me at newrainbow at newrainbowproject.com or on social media at newrainbowproject on Instagram, uh, Tumblr, uh, Tumblr, yeah, and uh, Facebook. Uh, 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 yeah, I think it's the same at the minute on TikTok and threads. But as I said, this one was about learning disability. And like as you said, you know, with how she f- f- like defines a learning uh, disability to a learning difficulty, she defines it as being a, like a, the brain being starved of, of oxygen from birth. Like, Albert Owens was describing that, that seemed similar to how you describe cerebral palsy into summarised conversation. I also wanted to highlight how when you referenced uh, dyslexia and elements of how like you can learn certain skills to help reading, writing, that how that like in the sense of using a phrase curing, which I know that is misinformation or like not great Wording from from that, but uh, like I say, I always like to give a chance to every guest to word things in their own way and make sure they have a chance to freely uh, say things regardless of what however they want to say it. But also, I think I try to take a bit of responsibility for the output of making sure that I get the right factual information. So, like when she has said. That area of like uh, learning d- difficulties, but uh, men can also like I was like did research and like she did give a statement to after when you asked her about this and give the link to how uh, men defines it. Although you know like uh, learning disabilities as like see uh, learning disability as she says it not does not only doesn't it create an intellectual disability, but is defined to intellectual differences as to, you know, uh, learning difficulty like d- dyslexia and dyspraxia. It doesn't have an intellectual consequence on your, you know, uh, brain development, if you get what I mean. But, yeah, so if you want to find more about that and learning dyslexia, Disabilities as to learning difficulty, go on mencap.com or .co.uk, whichever, I'll try to feature it on the web, 
on my website www.newrainbowproject.com as you want to find ways of developing better resources so if you want to find out a lot more about other reliable resources like a find a way of signposting you to them and as I said it was great to have this conversation but from this myself I know that I want to do a lot more conversations that can focus on learning disabilities and a lot of people and interviewing a lot more people who have different, you know, uh, learning differences or differences in neurodivergencies uh, to myself, you know, on a podcast. If that's also chatting to people, more people who are non-verbal or non-speaking or semi-speaking and finding ways of making that accessible, if that's using it. Uh, AAC communications also tend to be with people with and even if it's like using uh, other like software to you know uh, communicate things to so if you got any guests or any ideas of how I can uh, cover some issues on learning disabilities and other areas of the new you know divergent umbrella please hit Hit me up at NeuroRainbow at NeuroRainbowProject.com and because that will be quite good because, you know, with this podcast I tend to focus on things that are small p political in terms of areas like social activism to, you know, policy and how things affect disabled people. So that is something that I want to continue on forward to this podcast and make sure that I, uh, you know, represent the other community, even though I'm not re- representative of that myself, just to ensure that they are right broad, very different conversations, if you get with me on this podcast. And so for this week, uh, you know, this is a goodbye for myself and, you know, and hopefully you can tune back in next week. And to disclaim about the Nicholas Ferdinand interview, it will be audio and text-based only. So if you rather like look at something with captions, I'll be working on to, you know, go have it as a blog on New Rainbow Project. If that's, uh, you know, if you find audio listening's not accessible to you so it will be available over on the website and like just to say about that Nicholas Fern interview there are themes of mental health and you know mental depression and stuff like that that can be quite triggering and so if you know like you're having a hard time yourself you know it might not be the best listening for you if you're in that state of mind just to give you a a week to scream and to go on and for that and I'll have any any, like uh, good resources off you if you need any help or you know mentally and uh, you know like any support I'll make sure that's all in the episode description so again thank you for listening and watching the podcast my name's Autistic Lear 
and another special thanks for today's guest, Kyra Lawrence. See you next time on the podcast. Bye for now.